All right, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to join with each other and with you. Um, and we just want to get to grips with this topic. I don't know how much we're actually going to be able to understand this, um, but I just pray that we could, you can help our understanding and give us your spirit, help us to get to grips with whatever you need us to get to grips with um, in terms of this. Uh, thank you and be with us in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Um, so the topic today, um, courtesy of Maz, but also it's something that I was actually studying a bit before as well, um, and it's, it's this um, this question of is God sovereign or do we have free will, right? And this is quite a um, contentious topic within Christian circles, especially with some of the texts they're about to go to and trying to explain some of the texts. Um, and some of this, and some of the text might actually make you feel a little bit uncomfortable based on what we generally have um, historically believed, especially as Adventists. Um, and so we like definitely reading some of these texts, I was a bit shocked at the phrasing and the language that is used. And so, um, yeah, keep an open mind. Um, let's just read the text for what they say and let's just see what we can make sense of as we go through. Um, but yeah, the first text we're going to go to is Matthew chapter 22, verse 11 to 14. There's going to be quite a lot of Bible text today, so keep your um, Bibles open or at the ready. But yeah, Matthew 22, um, 11 to 14. if anyone would like to read. Sorry, what was the text? Uh, Matthew 22, 11 to 14. Can I read? Yeah, go for it. Um, so Matthew 22 from verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Um, and we're going to focus on that last verse just there. It says, many are called, but few are chosen. Um, what does that mean? Many are called, but few are chosen. Isn't it like, kind of like what it says, many are called chosen kind okay of. explain it a bit more because it's, it's a bit more complicated than it seems on the surface it's so not everybody that comes will gain basically so no, not everyone that comes will get in okay let's yeah break that down a bit more um, 
I'd like to say, probably let's say abide by certain rules for you to gain. So if you don't qualify for that, you could come. But if you don't qualify, you, you're not making it. So basically, let's say like a job interview. If it's a group interview, all of you may be good for the job, but only probably like one person will get the job. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Cool, cool, cool. So in a Christian context, if we've taken that to into consideration you're saying that there's a call that goes out and people will come but only a certain group of that people will actually make it is what you're saying in my opinion okay cool 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 anyone else want to chime in No? Okay. All right. Well, I went to this text first is because it um, it is a stepping stone in the direction of where we're going in terms of the, the dichotomy of the statement. So if you, if you look at the word calling, right, if you're calling a group of people, it's, it's not specific. It's I'm calling this group and anyone who I'm calling has this opportunity to come, right? But then the word chosen suggests that um, I'm not calling a, a group of people. I'm not, um, it's not open, it's specific. I am now choosing certain people for this thing. And so it's almost like two different things are happening. So if God is the one who's saying this, like I'm calling people, but also I'm choosing people, it seems a bit um, strange. Like, well, which one is he doing? Is he, is he calling us to, to heaven and we get to choose one way or the other? Or um, is he doing the choosing? Um, and so this is just a, a a nice slip road into the into where we're going. Let's let's move on. We're going to another text. Um, Matthew 13, 10 to 17, bit of a longer one. Matthew 13, 10 to 17. And again, start to pick up some of the language that Jesus is using as he's speaking to his disciples. Um, this is just after he has. Um, said the parable of the sower. So Matthew 13, 10 to 17. Anyone want to read or should I read? Would you want to split it up? Can we split it up? Yeah, okay. So let's do two verses each then. I can start. It says, um, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given um, to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Um, verse 12 so whoever has to him so whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see 
and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and, their, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Cool, thank you. So, um, looking at this text, right, Jesus is talking to his disciples about, um, they're asking why, why does he speak in parables and he gives them this um, eight-verse explanation, right? And throughout this text, there's dotted several statements of what we, um, what we may call um, God choosing certain people um, and, and, and conversely not choosing certain people. So why do I say that, right? So it says, um, verse 11, it says, um, these secrets have been given to you, but to others they haven't been given. Um, it then continues to say, um, you know, some people um, can hear and some people can't hear. I've, I've like opened up certain people's ears so they can hear and other people's they can't hear. Um, and then it continues to say in the prophecy, you know, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed um, see, but never perceive. So there's people who are receiving whatever is happening, but aren't, aren't getting it, right? Because they're just not chosen to get it when the disciples have been chosen to get it. And so there's this, again, um, this language, this phrasing around, you know, God is calling, God is calling in the sense that, you know, this message is going out um, and everyone is, might, might be hearing it, but there's only a chosen few who are able to understand or perceive or, 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 um, or get what's going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, okay, we're gonna continue. We're gonna get deeper into this. So Mark 13, verse 20, if someone could read that. Mark chapter 13 and verse 20. 13, 20. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom has chosen, whom He has chosen, and He has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, "Look, here's the Messiah," or "Look, here He is," do not believe it. Okay, let's stop there. So, just just for verse twenty, right? Um, does anyone pick up any language in there that's a bit strange? I'll read it again. If, um, and if the Lord had not um, cut the day short, no human being would be saved. 
but for the sake of the elect whom he has chose, um, who he chose, he shortened the days. Kind of sounds like, go on. No, you. No, no, go on, go do this one. Go, Fancy, go. I was just, um, I don't know, I read this verse a few times and not, it's when you pointed out that things sound strange, I'm looking at it in a different way now. Um, I think the first thing is um, if the days were longer, no flesh would be saved, and that surprises me because I'm like, I'm thinking I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, but if those days were longer, it's, uh, yeah, uh, maybe that's not the case. And then um, uh, the elect who God chose, um, I'm thinking like, well, what is it about them that he's, that he's chosen them? Why has he chosen them? Yeah. Cool. All right. So the very the second bit is definitely what we want to look at, right? It says, but for the but for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Right? Now us within um within the church, I don't know, especially me within my belief, I've always understood it that you know I do the choosing. So God has made this thing available and I get to choose whether, you know, I accept the gospel, etc. But this is specifically saying, um, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose. So this is saying that God chose those who will be saved. The elect are the, are the people who will be saved. Um, and it's saying God chose the elect. Tyler. But then doesn't technically... You know, when he, obviously he's doing judgment, right? And he's selecting yeah. who's to be saved and who's not to be saved. Yeah. So those who are saved do not have the, um, you know, the mark of the beast. So in that yeah. way, he has chosen. But we've, like, we've chosen by the way we live our lives. And during the judgment, he's the one that says yes and no to each person. So isn't, it, isn't that what he's referring to in this text? Okay, cool. Good, good question. Let's um, let's continue because we're going to get to a point where you may think that actually, that's not what it may be. What this text is specifically talking about, but you you may find that the Bible ends up going down the road where you're like, oh wow, we're we're really going there. Um, so next, Acts chapter two, chapter thirteen, verses forty-eight. If someone can read that, Acts thirteen forty-eight. Did you say 13 or 18? Uh, 13, chapter 13, uh, verse 48. 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard, heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for the eternal life believed. Cool. Right. What are we, see, what are we seeing here? Um, 
And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were that as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Tyler, what are you saying? The way you called me as I, I was about to leave the, my room. Um, yeah, I was listening. I apologize. <laughs> I got called for food, so I'll be right. Uh, okay, okay, okay. What do you guys think? I just quickly read that in another version because I just wanted to check. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I think yeah, I don't know. Um, in in the Amplified Version, it says, um, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying, brackets, praising and giving thanks um, for the word of the Lord and all those who have been, imp- been appointed, brackets, designated or ordained to eternal life by God, um, believed in Jesus as the Christ and, and their saviour. Um, I don't really know what to make of it. Cool. This is where we're at, guys, right? This is where we're at. And we're going to keep going. We're going, down this, we're going down this rabbit hole, right? So I understand what this text is saying. This, this text is saying, right? It says, whoever was appointed, right? Whoever eternal life was appointed, it is those people who believed. So the text is suggesting that God beforehand has said this person and this person and this person will have eternal life. And it is those people who God had previously appointed believed in that moment. Now that 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 is a that is an uncomfortable thing for us because now it's like wow we it doesn't feel like we have control over our own salvation at this point right it feels like God is now choosing right this person saved this person not this person saved this person not right. And that's literally, the, I mean, the text says, whoever was appointed, and in the Amplified Version, it even goes even further down that road. It says, previously ordained for eternal life um, is those people who believed. What do you guys think at this point? I think it came back at a mad point because what it sounded like to that was, what did you say? It's already predetermined who's saved. That's what the text. This this what text, it says. It says as many who were appointed to eternal life. What text was this, sorry? Um, Acts thirteen forty eight. Maz, do you want to read your amplified version again? It just hit. It kind of hit it right where it was. Oh yeah, one sec. It's just loading. Okay. Um, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying, brackets, praising and giving thanks for the word of the Lord. And all those who had been appointed, brackets, designated, ordained um, to eternal life by God, believed in Jesus as their Christ and their Saviour. So yeah, Tyler, that's 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 what the things that is saying. They were previously ordained um, for eternal life, and it's those people who believed. Uh, 
I'm thinking the Bible doesn't contradict itself. But then when you think of like verses like John 3 16. Oh, we're coming there. We're coming there. Don't worry. Don't run ahead, man. Don't worry. worry. (laughs) We're coming. Hmm. Interesting. But but uh, what I'm saying is currently what what we're reading in that text, uh, and you know, in the previous one, what we read in Mark, you know, what we read in Acts, it seems like there's something that's happening. Like God has somehow um, ordained certain things to happen, and so He said, it seems like there is an there is a control that's happening that we haven't really kind of talked about or delved into, at least in my spiritual understanding of, of like what, what we've learned in church, etc. just feels like that. This hasn't really been explained too tough, right? Let's continue because there's more. It, it, gets, it gets a bit more deep. Proverbs 16, verse 4. This is when it starts getting really deep. Um, Proverbs 16, ch- um, chapter 16, verse 4. Someone wants to read that. Um, Proverbs 16 verse 4 reads the Lord hath made all things for himself ye even the wicked think wicked for the day of evil is that the right verse? yeah that's the one okay. I'll read it again yeah the Lord has made everything for, for its purpose even the wicked for the day of judgment or the day of trouble What are we saying? I think this first makes it look like God kind of already predestined the chosen, predestined the wicked, from what I'm seeing. That's what it seems like, right, Linnea? I, I, I agree with you. That's exactly, in fact, it doesn't even seem like that. It feels like it's just saying it. Also, like, you wonder... God, like, why would you make wicked people like? Right. So this like, is. I agree, man. So it starts to make me feel uncomfortable about it, right? It must be like what? So what? God just made people to, to die. That's what it seems like here. Is there everything was made for its purpose, including the wicked for the day of trouble, right, Tyler? I hear that, but then isn't it the point of? Um. Obviously, only God can create. So no one else can create. So let's just say he knew, he knows who's going to be wicked and he just says, you know what, Puff, clicks his fingers, so to speak. They're not going to exist. It's just going to be happy, all the good people, so to speak. But that wouldn't really work at all, would it? One, that would, doesn't really make sense because then obviously Satan was, he's, he would have already failed. And then obviously it's wicked that they're to be judged and it's shown to all the, all the other people that are watching on, okay, look. You know, my judgment is right, it's true, you know, this, this, this is why sin is bad, and it's like a testament to everybody, not just on you know, this earth and like in the universe, to say, look, this is what sin does, it corrupts, and, and you know, sin should be no more. So, of course, the wicked have to, so of course, the wicked will still be there, and of course, they will serve their purpose. Cool. Interesting, right? So, that's how I see it, anyway. But where does choice come in? Well, that's the point. Like, if it, if if the wicked weren't there, let's just say, oh, you're wicked. I'm not. You're not. You're not going to do anything. Then there's no choice because he's just taking that choice away from you. The fact that you're born, and yes, if you choose to be wicked, that's your choice. That's that's what I'm coming from. 
Okay, so God would so so God knowing the future didn't take out those people who were going to choose wickedly, yeah. um, so that he could then. Like, it's all the chance. Right. You know what I mean? He knows they're wicked, but he's still right. giving them the chance to turn their way. Right. Let's let's continue. First, first, um, first Peter two seven and eight. I can read. It says, so, um, so the honour is for you who believe, but those who do not believe, the stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone, verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Just for the record, these are the ones that I'm mentioning here, the text that we're going to, aren't the only ones in the Bible that speak about um, or refer to this idea of, um, let's call it predestination. Right, um, and we're going to go to others, but just yeah, it's it's building, right? Um, Ephesians chapter two, verse one and uh, verse. Uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter one, verses three to six. Ephesians one three to six. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be us for adoption in sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in one in the one he loves okay what do you think about that it looks like it seems like everything has been written it's just running its course right now Feels like everything has been written beforehand, right? And then yeah. it's just we're just going on this ride as God has previously ordained it, right? Yeah. Like literally, I mean, it, it's hard to get around this language. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he chose us for that purpose, right? It then continues to say, in love, he predestined us for the adoption of himself as sons and um, sons um, through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. So I understand that this is not to do with, because it, it, it says a why here, it says he predestined us for adoption. And you say, okay, why did he, why did, why did it, why was it us that he, he did that to? And it says, because it was according to the purpose of his will. 
so 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 for his glorious grace so it's it's almost like there's no other reason it's not like um he did it because he saw that they were good beforehand and therefore he did it like that um it's like he did it for the purpose that he wanted to be glorified and so he predestined these people who he chose to be his beloved to be adopted adopted into his family and that's what he chose that's what it seems like from the text right yep what what, what, what are the rest of you guys thinking Like, or maybe I should ask it this way. Does that does that make you feel uncomfortable? Or make you have a different idea about um about God, about our Christian journey, or about any of it? In a way, if that's true, then I can't just do anything I want. If it's already predetermined, there's there's does what I do then matter? Cool. That is a good question. That's exactly the question I was asking. Is um, is what I do? Does what I do then matter? If God has predetermined everything from the start, then do my day to day choices really matter at all? Or will what he, you know, is his sovereignty and what he decided from ages ago going to happen anyway? And therefore, what my what is the point of my day to day choices? Right. Yeah. I think it still does matter. Although, so think about it this way. Let's say you have been, um, there's one decision being made at the end. The way that you kind of behave, you don't know that decision yourself. So you, so only God knows the decision. You don't know the decision. So it's up to you to kind of like behave in a way to have to go to kind of like result in that decision. That makes sense. Yeah. So you don't know if you knew the decision at the end, you would behave a certain way, but because you don't know the decision, that's where the free will comes in. But he already yeah. knows what your decision is. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Interesting. So, so Hassan is saying that because we don't know who has been predestined and who hasn't been predestined, that you have to behave as in as if you have been predestined and therefore behave as if you know you are a Christian and that you love God, etc., for that to actually be the eventuality that we get at the end. Yeah. Which makes sense outside of the fact that he says it's not book, he didn't choose these people because they were good. He didn't choose these people because they chose him that's not the, the text says that he chose them because that's just what his will was and we're going to get to that specific point in a little bit um in another text that kind of cements that um that point tyler say another thing <clears throat> if that's the case why don't he evangelize another very another very good question another very good question um, you know, some may argue just to because God just wants to um, bring you like 
he just wants to you to be a part of the journey that's what some people would argue right it, it's not because he needs you to evangelize he could evangelize by his holy spirit just as he's as he does and people would you know we converted we as people don't necessarily cause people to be converted it is the holy spirit that does that so ultimately he just wants to get us involved it's not that he needs us involved he just wants us involved um that's what some someone would argue to that question keep my cards quite close to my chest in terms of what i think about this whole thing but we'll get there um Next text, right? Does anyone else have anything to say before we before we crack on? No? Okay, all right, cool. First Corinthians 1, 20 to 31. We can take turns with this one because again it's quite a long one. First Corinthians chapter one verses twenty to thirty-one. We get some, we get some, um, some, some idea of why God is making the choices that he's making in this text. Um, two, ver- two verses each. Uh, yeah. Um, so you stand from verse 20. Um, where is the wives? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this age? Has God has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since for since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to those preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Greeks or to Gentiles. Unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Brothers and sisters, think of what you are. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble. But but joy, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and despised and the despised things and the things that are not to be and not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is before because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who have become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Verse 31, so that, as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in in the Lord. So, here we are. Um, The real crowning verse, if we we really want to drill it down, it says, God chose those who um, 
what is low, uh, despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to, um, to nothing that which are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Right? So the text is basically saying, don't think there is anything to do with you why you were in Christ. God, in his own will, and his own purposes, decided to get the, get the foolish, to confound the wise, to take the low, to, um, to confound the high. And, he, and there's nothing to do with you why you're in Christ, other than the fact that he decided that that, that was the case. And, that, and he did that because he didn't want anyone to boast. What do you guys think? That's bad. We're not done. We're not done. We'll go to Romans chapter nine now. And this is, I, I mean, I asked you guys to read this beforehand. I don't know how many have, um, but this is the, this is the, uh, the height of the, <laughs> how confusing this gets, right? Um, Romans chapter nine, and then we'll start to, um, start to start to make sense of, of what is going on here, right? So Romans chapter nine, um, Really, we need to read from verse 1 to verse 24. But in interest of time, I will summarise up to verse 6, just so we know what's going on here. So Paul is writing to the church in Romans, and he is basically saying, um, he's kind of spoken to the Gentiles and said, look, it's so great that you guys have Jesus, you guys can accept Jesus and all the rest of it. But he gets to verse 9, and he starts to um, deep that Israel, who were the chosen people, who were supposed to be um, the people who brought, you know, God to the world, have failed, essentially. Um, you know, Israel were supposed to be God's chosen people. Jesus came, they rejected him. And so now the message is moving to the Gentiles. And so he, Paul is lamenting that this is the fact. He's sad that his... Jewish people couldn't grasp this in the way that they should have and all of the years down the ages they've had this opportunity to grasp this and they haven't and so he's lamenting that this is the case um, and so we get to verse um, 6 and we'll go from 6 to 24 and we'll stop along the way so if we want to do like two verses each and we'll just start to bring, um, bring together some of what it's, what it's saying um, but yeah, verse six. Verse six. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who were descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offsprings will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent, who are of God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offsprings. 
Great, let's stop there, right? So just to make sense of that, right? Um, Paul, Paul starts asking the question, well, um, if Israel didn't make it and Israel were the people of promise, does that mean God didn't, um, God's promise didn't come true? Like, was God lying when he said Israel were the people of promise? And then he, he comes to the conclusion that actually God's word didn't fail. Um, not all of the descendants of Israel are actually the descendants of Israel. They're not the people of promise. And we see that from Abraham, only Isaac, as you know, Abraham had several children, both Ishmael before Isaac and several ch children with, the, with other women after Sarah died um, after Isaac. Yet Isaac was the only child of promise, right? And so it's not really about whether you are a, a people of Israel being a people of Abraham, um, it's about where you a person of promise. Let's continue. Um, verse nine. nine. I'll read. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I'll return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, neither good nor bad, in order for God's purpose of election um, might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So just to summarise, we go through the things, so we've done Abraham, we go to Isaac, and we've come to now Jacob and Esau. And he, and he says, um, when God chose either Jacob or Esau, it's not because he, he said he said to um, the mother, Rebecca, right, the younger, the older is going to serve the younger. We read that in the Bible in, in Exodus, in Genesis, right? And in Genesis it says the, the, the older will serve the younger. Now that doesn't happen because one was good and one was bad. None of them were born yet. It says that in the text. None of them had even been conceived yet. And, and you know, one was neither good nor bad. They were not yet born. However, God still said the older will serve the younger, not because of anything that they did, but because of, of God, because of that's what he said. That's what was his purpose was, right? Let's continue. Verse 12. Someone wants to read. Um, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. You can continue. Um, verse 14. Uh, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. Cool. Let's not there, sorry. So Paul is preempting our question, right? Paul in verse 14, it says, so then he says, it's not, I didn't choose Jacob over Esau because Jacob did anything or Esau did anything. I just chose them. And so what is the obvious question that, that comes out of come, comes out from that? If if God is saying I didn't choose them for anything that they did, what do what do we now think? Come on, guys, you can talk with me here. If I said, if I, if I said, if I was choosing between Hassler and Tyler, right, um, 
and I chose one of them and I said it's nothing to do with any of, of whether either of you are good or bad or anything that you do or even our friendship I just chose one of you right and one say if I was going to choose whether one of you lived or one of you died right and I just chose one of you and there's nothing to do with any our friendship or anything whatever anyone did anything I just chose one of you what what, what would you say about me I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Wait, deep. What else? What would you? But how would you be feeling? Vex. Vex. But why are you vex? <laughs> imagine I'm. Imagine I'm known as Cause, Lukov. Cause what, what reason? What's the reason? What's the reason? It feels unfair, right? Yeah. It feels unfair. What did Esau do to to not get chosen in that scenario? It feels unfair. And so this is what this is exactly what Paul is writing. He says, so then what are we gonna say? Is God then unjust? Like, is he acting unfairly? He clearly just said that he chose Esau and Jacob for no reason, other than because God willed it. Right? And so he I so he asked the question, so does that mean God is unfair? And he says by no means. Let's cons- let's see why he says by no means. Um verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Okay. Does that make you feel any better? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Paul says, no, we can't call him unjust because of this. Because he said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And therefore it doesn't depend on human will um, or exertion, so neither human will nor their efforts, but it depends on, on who I decide to have mercy on. And you're left thinking, what? That didn't help me in any way understand what's going on. Okay, verse, uh, verse, 16, uh, verse 17, sorry. It gets worse. Verse, verse 16. Verse 17. 17. Um, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Cool. <laughs> oh, Paul's making this worse. He says... I, 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 Pharaoh, Pharaoh, from, from Exodus, from Pharaoh and Moses, um, he says, for this very purpose, Pharaoh, I gave you power, and that my, that my name may be proclaimed. And then he says, therefore, I have mercy on whom I, on who, who, who I will, and I harden who I will. Yeah, do you know, I remember reading something in Genesis, actually, saying that God, Hardened Pharaoh's heart or something. It does. It does say that. I mean, it does say that after several versions of him saying Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but then eventually it says um, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right. And so we'll get a bit into that in a minute, but let's continue. Right. Verse 19. So you will say, um, will you say to me then, why does he still find fault 
and who can resist his will? So previous, because of what Moses, um, because of what Paul has just said, he says that he raised up Pharaoh for that reason. Um, he said the thing about Jacob in, and and Esau. He says he'll have mercy on whom he has mercy, and he he will harden who he hardens. Um, so then, he, so then the, the the real question is: Well, then who can resist this? Like, is there actually any choice that we have? Like, if God has willed Pharaoh to be that, if God has willed Esau and Jacob to be who they were, if God has willed someone who he wants to have mercy on and vice versa who he wants to harden, how can we resist this? Right? I love how Paul writes. He kind of asked, he just asked the question that we're asking already. Right? Verse 20. He says, his answer to this is, <laughs> he says, but who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will that um, will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of a, the same lump one vessel for honourable use and another for dishonourable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory, the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. What do you guys think? I don't know if this is a bit relevant, but I'm also, I'm just wondering like how, like I'm sort of questioning, like this makes me question God's goodness. Like if, it, it's like, if this is all be because of God, like then, and, people with hardened hearts, wicked people, but people are coming from God. I'm like, how, how does that happen? Like, why would he want that to happen? And it's literally just because he wants it. He would, he wants it to like, um, yeah, I, I really don't know. It's a, it's a really good point, man, to be honest. Um, you read that text, especially when it starts talking about the pots, and it says, can a pot ask the potter what, like, what's going on here? Can, can the pot ask the potter what's going on here? It's literally just, I've, like, I've made one for honourable use and I've made one for dishonourable use. And then it continues and puts it in practice, what the metaphor says. It says, if I decide that you know, I'm just gonna bear with this um, this this evil thing and just make it an example, so that the people who have decided are good will see my glory. It's very confusing. It's and and again puts into question, well, how good is God? And that's exactly the question that Paul is asking, right? As he's making this point in Romans nine, right? Can we call God righteous? Like, how can we? 
um, resist his will. In fact, the very question to him asking, can we resist his will? He says, well, don't ask him that question. Really confusing, really confusing, right? Okay, any other points? Tyler, what are you thinking now? Hmm? What are you thinking now? Yeah. I'm thinking a lot of things. <laughs> I'm thinking a lot of things. I think you better wrap this up in 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. Right. Let's, um... Let's go. Okay, so I just want you guys to understand the problem in which we have with... Uh, with predestination with election that's what this is this this is called right this is called election where god has elected you know certain people to be his elect people who are saved predestination before anyone has done anything he had already predestined those who he has elected and those who he hasn't um he has already created vessels for honorable use and vessels for dishonorable use this is the problem right now now, when we read all those texts, it seems quite clear what exactly what has been said, right? And yes, maybe we can make explanations for some of them, but as the texts pile up, and there's more that we haven't gone to, but as the texts pile up, it seems more and more that actually, this is actually what's going on. God is ultimately sovereign for everyone's destination, be it good or bad. That's, quite, that's what these texts are pushing, right? However, what is the problem with that? The problem is, is that also in the Bible, we see a lot of areas where we're told to make choices, where we're told we have personal responsibility. So let's go to a couple of those, right? So um, one person can go to Revelation 3.20, another person to Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20, um, and another person, James 1, 3 to 15. So Revelation 3.20, Deuteronomy 3.30.19-20, and James 1.13-15. And let's do this quick because we're running out of time. So go ahead, Tyler. Was that Deuteronomy 3.30 or 33? 30. 30. So Deuteronomy 30.19-20, Revelation 3.20. And James 1, 13 to 15. You can read when you get it. Right, Deuteronomy says, Deuteronomy 30, 19, 20, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sway unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Great. Right. So here God, talking through Moses, is saying, I have set before you both what is good and what is bad. Choose good. So here we're seeing God saying, make a choice. You have a choice to make here. Nothing like he we're not there's no predestination language here. It is literally you have a choice to make, choose good. And if you choose good, good things will happen. 
And so that's, again, these, that seems kind of contrary to the text we were learning before, where it was just those who had been predestined to believe as the ones who actually believe. This is now God saying, look, everyone's got the opportunity. I put it all out in front of you. Go ahead, choose good. You have good or bad to choose from. You could choose either, but I want you to choose good, right? Anyone else have another text? Revelation 3 verse 20. Yep. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with the person and they with me. Cool. Here again, right? We're, we're at a place where God does not push his way into your heart. He says, I will stand at the door and knock. All the other texts seem again like, you know, God has predestined, he has forced, his sovereign will has said, this is going to happen. And so whether you choose, like your choice isn't really a part of the, the equation. It is God has chosen this for his own glory. And therefore, you know, this is going to happen. But this text in Revelation said he stands at the door and knocks. You have the option whether to open the door to him or not. Right. You can open the door and he'll come in and, you know, you can live um, and have a relationship with him, live that righteous lifestyle, etc. Or you could not open the door. James 1, 13 to 15. Um, James 1, um, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when, the desire, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Perfect, right? Where is the blame in that in that text? Where is the blame uh, seated? On the person. On the sinner, right? Yeah. There is the temptation to say in the text, the temptation is to say, God tempted me, God made me do this, God, etc., etc. He says, no. You were drawn away by your own lust and enticed. That was James um, 1, verses 13 to 15. Um, you're drawn by your own lust and enticed. It's your fault. It's nothing to do with God. God was trying to get, God doesn't tempt anyone. In fact, he wants you to be saved. And so, again, here is different language to what we were hearing before, saying Proverbs 16, verse 4, which was saying, you know, he had created certain people to just be ready for for the time for, for the for the time of trouble for that for the judgment is created evil people for that purpose when this is saying well actually no you know those who are in that time of trouble deserve to be there because they made that choice they're drawn away by their own lust and enticed and that's where they are and so the here is the dichotomy which has plagued christianity for quite a while actually there is th these two schools of thought are called um Calvinism and Arminianism and so Calvinism believes in election and believes that in God's sovereignty wholehearted sovereignty and and we're going to go through some of those beliefs now and the opposite to the Calvinism is Arminianism and we'll go through the opposite viewpoint as well and then I'll let you guys decide where where you like want to sit on this spectrum right and we'll go quite fast because we're running out of time so Calvinists believe in total depravity. Does anyone know what total depravity means? 
with nothing. No, no, we've got nothing, right? We've got nothing. That's exactly what it is. We've got nothing. So Calvinists believe that there is nothing that could bring you to God out of yourself, right? It is all God, right? There's nothing in you that has any merit. It is just God. And so because it is just God, and there's nothing in us people, us humans, that have any good thing, right? That means that God then chooses who is Christian and who is not clearly, who has accepted him and who is not. Because if it is only God who has anything good to bring to the table, it is only him that can cause someone to be good. That is their, that is their vision, right? That is their understanding. Um, and that is backed up by texts that say um, things like, uh, I mean, Ephesians 2, 1 to, uh, 1 to 3. I'll read it now quickly. And it says, and you which are dead in your trespasses and sins, which once walked, following in the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit which is now at work in your sons of disobedience, among whom you have all lived in, within your passions, um, out of our flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and in, um, of your body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So it's basically saying everyone within mankind was evil. Everyone. And without God, everyone would still be evil. So God has allowed certain people to be God, not, not by any merit of their own, but because God has chosen those people, right? And that is similar to how we were reading in First Corinthians, where we read, you know, God chose certain people, you know, the low to confound the high, the, the, the foolish to confound the wise, because he just chose that for his own glory and not because of anything those people have done. That's what Calvin's believe. Right. Arminius believe that actually, no, there is some element of merit in people who choose Christ. Right. So um, it's not the fact that there is not total depravity. You know, even, you know, they use texts like Romans 12, verse three. Everyone is given a measure of faith. Right. And so God has put in everyone the ability to choose him. It's just whether they choose to choose him or not. He's given every everyone the choice. And everyone makes that choice based on their whatever choice they make, right? So God makes that choice available, but the merit is in the individual, right? Everyone get those two different viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah? Okay, next one. It's called unconditional election. Calvinists believe in unconditional election. Unconditional election is essentially saying before the earth was began before the foundation of the world god chose uncon like without any um any preconceived idea of what those people were going to be he just said these people will be elect and these people won't i'm choosing x y and z to be you know to to inherit the kingdom for my glory and x y and z not to um, inherit the kingdom again for my glory and so um calvinists believe that regardless of what those people we're going to do or ever eventually will do is just based on the election that God has allowed them to, to, to have. Again, similar to some of the language that we read earlier, but Arminians believe that God has only elected those who would eventually choose him, right? So, um, so if we have um, a group of people, God has seen 
100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years, 5,000 years, 6,000 years into the future, he has only elected those who will eventually choose him, right? So the election that God is talking about isn't actually his personal election, it's actually those who have elected themselves into his election, that makes sense. Yeah? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So those are the two, again, um, changing views. Third one, and there's five of these, right? Limited atonement. Calvinists believe that Jesus only died for the elect. Right? So Jesus didn't die for everyone. He died specifically for the people who were going to accept him. And again, Arminius believed that he died for everyone. John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So they believe that any, he died for everyone and everyone's sins. It's just the fact that, you know, those who accept it will get the, get, get the advantages of that. But he didn't, but he did die for everyone. Calvinists believe he only died for the people who were elect. And there were texts to back up both of these, both of these um, viewpoints. In fact, there's texts to back up all of the viewpoints, both of, on both sides, right? Next one is irresistible faith. Irresistible faith suggests that um, the Holy Spirit cannot be, um, Calvinists would believe that the Holy Spirit cannot be resisted. If God has chosen you to be elect, it's actually nothing to do with your choice. God has opened your eyes to himself. He's shown you his glory through his Holy Spirit and therefore you will be Christian. Once you have seen the glory itself, there's no other option but for you to accept that that is the truth and that is the right way to, to believe. On the flip side, Arminians believe that you can resist the Holy Spirit. And even if God showed you everything there is to show, again, you could reject it. Yeah, makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and then the last one is the preservation of the saints, right? And that is based on the fact that once you are saved, you will never fall. If you're truly saved, if you're truly elect, if you're truly one of those people, you will never fall away from the faith permanently. You may have a season in which you fall or you do something, whatever, but eventually you will always make it back. Those people who are elect will always be elect, right? And then the Arminius view, again, is on the flip side. You know, even if you're once part of the elect and you're, you're written in the book of life, you can fall away. And again, there are texts to to um, to prove to to give evidence to both views. For example, you know what um, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Another one, um, what he starts in us, he will finish. These are all texts that kind of give evidence to the fact that no, like once God has done that thing, once you are part of the elect, you will not fall away. God will preserve you. God will 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 get you to the end. And on the flip side, there are texts that say, you know, if you, um, in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, it describes how, you know, even if you're a part of the church, even if you believe, even if you've got the whole gospel, if you then fall away, then there is nothing that will save you. So there is, it, it describes a possibility that you could get all of the truth, you could get all the thing and accept it, and then end up falling away. And so there's these texts that seemingly 
seemingly contradict each other all the way through all of these beliefs, right? And so, where do you guys kind of stand on this? And I know the other guys have kind of left, so maybe I'm just talking to a few of you. But where do you guys, like, are you guys leaning more towards the Calvinist view based on the text that we've read? Um, or are you leaning more to an Arminius view? I think, um, first of all, I definitely have to look into all those verses that you um, yeah, named. There's, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think from what you've said, though, I think I might be more leaning on the Arminius. Is that how you say it? The Arminius side? Yeah. Um, but I can see how both sides could be like perverted or kind of used for like your own selfish reasons and I think with either like as long as you're looking to love and glorify God with all your heart like either way um maybe it's not as much of a um issue as what some people think it could be for sure um ultimately there is no answer to this question ultimately you know do we have the free choice to do you know to to claim salvation ourselves or reject it versus is god ultimately sovereign um, based on the text that we've read, there's no, there, there is no answer to this question. There's no way in which we can decipher how um, God operates based on these, based on those texts, right? However, what I will say is both are true, and it's weird. It's a weird thing to say. Both are true. Both God is ultimately sovereign over everything that happens. But also, we have the responsibility and the choice to choose whether we accept them or not. And although those ideas seem contradictory, they actually probably describe how we may feel in our experience day to day. Because I feel like we feel the choices that we make, we feel like we have choices that we make, but ultimately also, we also feel God's grace and God's mercy and God's direction and God's leading and the Holy Spirit and all the rest of it. Like if you if you ask someone about their conversion experience or, or, or even think of your own, you'll very rarely think about it being your own struggle and you made it through your own gritting of your teeth and you got there. It was God plucked you out of somewhere that you shouldn't have been. He got you out of the mess and he brought you into his thing. Not, there's very little thing that you did in that situation in terms of your conversion experience. However, there's also choice mixed in there and it's a very strange dichotomy. And so, you know, this, this whole like con- controversy between Calvinists and Arminians, I feel like both of them are true. And how both of them are true, I don't understand. And I don't think we really will understand. But the problem, I guess, where we are at is that we both have to give glory to God and thank God that we're in the position we are, that we know him, 
that we're able to, you know, believe that we're in the position of the disciples um, when they were talking about the the, the um, parable of the sower. Like we have all been revealed some element of truth, right? However, on the flip side, we can never, we, we also have to understand that there is some element of responsibility and choices that we have to make for God. Like God isn't going to do it all himself. He's not going to force us into anything. There is personal choice. And so how we decide, you know, how we make that sense in our minds, I don't think is possible, but I think it's just a step that we have to make in faith. Lene, you haven't said anything in a while. No, I was just trying to get like separate the two definitions of the Calvinists and the Arminians. But um, I haven't chosen my side because I, I think I need to actually look at it physically and see the difference. I need to compare them because I'm getting them confused. Okay, yeah, no problem. I did run through it pretty quickly um, because <laughs> of time and, you know, AY is starting soon. So, you know, obviously, you know, this is recorded, so feel free to, to run it back and listen again. But, um, and I'll try and write out some of the texts that kind of relate to both sides um, so that you guys can go ahead and read up about this yourself. Um, there's so many texts in the Bible that, that talk about the Calvinistic point of view, right? There's loads. Um, and that's why it's hard to dismiss because, you know, your heart, my heart kind of leans towards the fact, oh yeah, of course there's choice. Of course, you know, well, how could there be, how could there not be choice? But given the text that we've read, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to dismiss. And, you know, when we come to the Bible, you, we can't come with preconceived ideas about, okay, I'm only going to believe this if it fits my paradigm. You have to read the text as the text speaks about the truth of God. And God is ultimately sovereign. That's what the Bible talks about. However, there's also elements of choice that he allows. And I don't know how he, he allows that to happen. I don't know how that is created and how he, how he elects, how can he elect someone from the foundation of the world and also by definition know who is going to fall by the, at the end of the world. Yet at the end of the world, those who are elect are those who deserve to be there and those who are, um, who are lost deserve to be lost. How that makes sense, I don't know but it does make sense. God is just, God is fair, God is loving. God wants everyone to be there. And so there is an element of some people cannot be there based on their own selves, but it's also the fact that God is ultimately sovereign above everything. And so, you know, there is this, this thing that doesn't really make sense to us and I don't think ever will. Maybe he can explain it to us come heaven, but um, it is definitely an amalgamation of the two. Um, in my mind, at least. Welcome, Imhotep. This might sound a bit confusing. But yeah, any other points before we before we close? No. Okay. All right. Let's let's uh. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for um, giving us this time. I know this is this study is not easy. Um, I've been grappling with it for a few weeks now, um, and it's not easy to understand, to be honest. Um, and how much we need to need to understand it beyond, you know, knowing that you um, have everything in your hands, and yet we still need to um, choose you. Um, outside of that understanding, I'm not sure how much we really need to get to grips with this, um, but. Thank you for getting us through it anyway. Um, I pray that you can continue to work with us and continue to aid our understanding around this. Um, and, you know, we can be more, more um, Christ-minded, more loving, more um, better Christians, have a better relationship with you because of it. Thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.